Andy Barrow might not be a familiar name, but his story is one of courage and mental strength. After breaking his neck in a rugby match as a 17-year-old, he was told he'd be a quadriplegic and he was confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. But Andy rose to become captain of the Great Britain wheelchair rugby team. He competed in three Paralympic Games, three World Championships and five European Championships where his team won three consecutive gold medals. I'm Craig Ray and it's an absolute pleasure to welcome Andy onto the Maverick Sports Podcast this week. So Andy, you, uh, you're famous for being a Paralympian and uh, playing wheelchair rugby. Maybe for our listeners that aren't familiar with you and, 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 and the movement, just uh, give us a background. How did you, well, first of all, how did you end up in, in an accident that led mm-hmm. to your Paralympic status? And, and just take us through that, that trauma, I suppose. So I guess my story is kind of rugby all the way through, really. Um, I've always loved sport. You know, it doesn't mean to say I was any good at it, but I always loved sport, loved team sports. Um, love the idea that a team, you know, is so much more than the sum of its parts. Um, grew up playing uh, football cricket when I was very young um, and I played in goal uh, and I played wicketkeeper. I did all the dumb jobs. <laughs> um, and quite quickly I realised, you know, it's kind of far rather kind of kick people and be a bit more aggressive. So uh, rugby was a, a natural step for me. And I love rugby because it's a game for people of all shapes and sizes. So I started playing rugby at the age of 11. Uh, for my local school, then my local club. Unfortunately, when I was 17 in my first season of senior rugby, um, I was injured in a badly engaged scrum. What, um, what position were you playing? So I was playing hooker. It yeah. Seems like straw poll. Most of the people that broke their necks playing rugby were playing hooker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, sustained a spinal cord injury, um, which led to sort of complete paralysis from the chest down with sort of uh, leaving me with limited use of my hands and arms. Um, so that was a big thing. I was 17 years old. Yeah. It was 1997. Um, but, um, you know, you, you look back on it and what it does give you is a perspective, it makes you understand what's, what's important. Yeah. You've lost a lot, but your, you know, life's going to go on. Time's going to tick on. You can't change it. Yeah. Um, and then it opened up all these other possibilities. I found out that, um, you know, sport didn't end just because you became disabled. There are all these other sports out there. The one I naturally gravitated to was wheelchair rugby. Uh, and that was the start of a journey that kind of took me around the world, really. I started playing for fun, mm-hmm. um, just to make sure I was physically fit as well. I'd lost kind of like four-fifths of my f- body function, as you understand it. Yeah. So I had to make sure that last 20% worked as well as it possibly could for me to be as independent in life as I possibly could. Yeah. So that, that was how it started. It started for that, and it obviously started for fun. You know, yeah. wanting to get back, wanting some camaraderie, wanting to be in a team environment again, um, mix in with people who had been through what I'd been through. Yeah. Uh, and then, as I say, I started getting good at it. Well, <laughs> we went if, from there. if we could just go back to the injury, I mean, you're 17, you're in the prime of your life, you must have been fit and strong playing, mm-hmm. you know, first team rugby at that age mm-hmm. in, in a club. Um, you know, do you remember your... You, when you were told that this was your future, your, your immediate reaction and, and that of your family and, and, and so on, if you could Yeah, I mean, that. absolutely. I mean, I knew something serious had happened on the day. Okay. Um, I mean, you know when the, like, the police arrive, the paramedic on a bike arrives, the ambulance arrives, when the chopper lands, you know. It's, yeah. it's <laughs> never good in the chopper top land. Prize, yeah? <laughs> um, and so I didn't actually sort of find out. The, the full extent of it kind of hit me. About three, four days later, because um, I was, I was saying to like the nurses and stuff. Other oh, doctors have said there's a chance you'll, 
you'll be able to walk out. There's a chance you'll be able to make a full recovery. And um, then, uh, you know, I think somebody caught wind of it and uh, a nurse or, you know, the head nurse, he came into my my ward or my curtain space because it was the old um, Florence Nightingale ward. So yeah. you didn't have much privacy, so curtains back. And he just went, look, when the doctors are saying there's a slim chance you might walk again, they're just covering themselves. That's, you know, it will be a miracle if you walk again. You're not going to walk again. You're never going to walk again. Wow. I mean, that's quite brutal in a yeah. way. How did you react to that? I, I cried my eyes out, but it was yeah. absolutely necessary. And I'm always thankful for that moment. You know, yeah, that I could say comfortably. That was the worst moment of my life right there, right then, then. But it flipped a switch in my head. It made me understand that, yeah, this is it. And you now have control over how you react to it. Yeah. You know, what you've lost, yeah, okay, you've lost a lot physically, but you've lost nothing mentally, you've lost nothing inside, your family are still all around you, your friends are still all around you, you have expert help, you're lucky to have happened to have broken your neck in a developed country. Yeah, um, that's a very it, it, mature way of looking at but it. But right? that's what it does, I think, when it crystallizes like that, it gives you a perspective of somebody far older at a very young age, which is a really valuable gift to have. Right. Um, because, yeah, it gets your head out of the clouds. You're a teenager and then you're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you had the support network. I presume your family mm -hmm. was pretty supportive. Yeah. And was it months of physiotherapy just to do some basic movements initially before you yeah, considered was, wheelchair rugby? It was five <laughs> months in hospital um, off the bat, and that's where they kind of pick you up and they teach you, you know, far more in important things you know they say you leave your dignity at the door when you go to a spinal injuries unit um so you're learning really basic things like how to clean yourself how to dress yourself again yeah. you know how to pick up a fork and eat that Sweet. kind of yeah. a really really simple basic stuff stuff you've forgotten you even learned to do in the first place um and then along with that comes you know that that need to actually just enjoy yourself and you know play sport and be physically fit because it's very important to mm. obviously how well you're going to deal with pushing a wheelchair. This is also a skill you learn, your wheelchair sure. skills. And it's transfer. a physical skill too. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Physical need anyway. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, learning to transfer, you know, bed to chair, car to chair, you know, learning what to do if you if you fall on the floor, um, all those kinds of things. So I was in hospital about five months, yeah. um, which at the time was quite quick. Um, and now, sadly, looking at the amount of time they put people – they run people through spinal injuries units back in the UK. It was quite a privilege to get that amount of time really? with expert staff because it really gave me an education on everything around looking after myself by the time I left. And then you you leave, you leave that comfort of the spinal injuries unit, um, you know, and, and you have to go and, and, and start again because you get into the real world. Yeah. Um, Did you have to modify your home? Uh, yep, the house. I, I was very lucky because I was still with my parents mm. uh, at 17 and they lived on a corner plot. So right. basically we destroyed, I destroyed my mother's back garden. I'm not sure she's fully forgiven me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and had a, had a lovely house built on the back of that, which served me well for, for many years until I moved to my current house and my wife. So yeah. um, I was very lucky again to have that available to me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the house had to be modified. You have to sort yourself out things like benefits and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I so imagine again, the paperwork is horrendous. Yeah, it? it's crazy. But, again, we're lucky to, to be supported, yeah. you know. So, 
you, you have to you have to sort of take take what you can from it. Uh, and so from breaking my neck in the April, I started playing wheelchair rugby in January nineteen ninety eight. Wow! So now wheelchair rugby. I mean, I'm sure some of your family went, "What? You going back to rugby? You must be crazy!" And and you did. And uh, well, for those of us that don't know, first of all. Uh, what? How is wheelchair rugby played? I know some of us would have seen it, but for the listeners that haven't, I so, mean, it, it sounds counterintuitive in yeah, a way. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, my, my, the common joke with my mates was, "Oh, how do you lift in the lineup and all that?" <laughs> and, you know, and it was just like, "No, there's, there's there's none of that. It doesn't bear too much resemblance to rugby. It's played on a basketball court four on four, and it's derived from wheelchair basketball, and yeah. it's derived from um, the fact that a bunch of guys." with more severe disability. So I want to say a bunch of guys that broke their necks rather than their backs were sat around in a spinal injuries unit in the 70s in Canada, watching a game of wheelchair basketball, thinking we, we can't compete mm. with physically. It'd be like under-14s playing the full box squad, you know? Yeah. Because we, we're just not that functional. We're more disabled than that. And that's not a pity thing. That's just a hard that's fact a of what yeah. works. Um, so they decided to modify basketball. So they played with a volleyball rather than a basketball because it was lighter. Mm. Rather than shooting a hoop, you score between two cones mm. uh, at the end of the court. Uh, rather than bouncing every two pushes, it was every 10 seconds. And rather than scoring every 24, you scored every 40. Mm. Uh, and then I think they probably took a look at it. This So I know there are probably a bunch of blokes. They took a look at it and thought, that looks a bit sedate. We'll smash into each other and call it murder ball. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's how the sport started. They never thought it would leave Canada, let alone North America, but it did, and it spread across the ponds of Europe, all the way down through Europe. Then it went down, you know, out to Australia and the Antipodean, and then it came down to South Africa. Um, and somewhere along the line, somebody sort of thought, we want to get this sport Paralympic status. Nobody was going to give murderable Paralympic yeah. status, so they changed their name to wheelchair rugby. Hmm. I'm ever glad of that because it's it's tied in so much with, um, you know, so many opportunities along the way with the sport of yeah. rugby. Um, and we got our Paralympic status. We're a demonstration sport in 96, yeah. uh, full medal sport uh, from Sydney onwards. And around about 2004, Somebody decided to make a documentary about the rivalry between the American and Canadian team, and it got called to call it Murderball. Yeah, so, there was a won an Oscar, didn't it, for best it, documentary? It, I, well, no, it was nominated, the, I think. The Penguins beat it. Yeah. Oh, well, you can <laughs> never beat the, the Penguins, penguins man. March of the Penguins beat it, yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, it was nominated, yeah. Yeah, I remember that, and uh, what a movie it was, too. I mean, it just yeah. Yeah, gave an insight. And those of you that haven't seen Murderball, probably a good place to start if you're yeah, interested in Andy's story. But I mean, you, do you get knocked when you get knocked over? How do you get back? Is it that physical? Can the wheelchairs get knocked oh, over? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, the wheelchairs get, get knocked over all the time. I mean, a lot of the – if you were to go on YouTube and look at the highlight reels, you'd see you'd see a lot of crash bash. But obviously, it's highlight reels. It's like your big hit reels, Yeah, isn't right. Um, and, and when you see it more often than not, you see the game at the highest level where we're, we're elite athletes and we're very trained. When we fall over, for the most part, we need help up because we're strapped into our chairs. Yeah. Uh, and we just haven't got the function to flip ourselves back up. Yeah. Because um, we're strapped in from sort of the feet, the legs, the hips, and the waist. So you're kind of very much like an upended turtle. So yeah. next break in play, they come pick you up unless play comes near you, in which case they stop. Oh, so, I mean, play so, carries on if you're not sort of affecting play yeah, and, you, yeah, and you're yeah. falling over. Yeah, it's, wow. no, it's no real it's no massive deal to to fall out. You'll do it a lot. You'll learn how to fall. As a smaller guy, I certainly learn how to fall. Yeah. You just know when somebody comes for you, it's like, right, I just need to not give a foul away here. Is there no fear? I mean, you've been through, you know, most of you would have got injured in, in either a sports field or a car mm -hmm. accident or something, but there's no fear of, can, can you re-injure yourself again? Could you, could you aggravate 
What is it's, already a bad situation? And what other kind of injuries do you pick up in, in murder bill or wheelchair rugby? I mean, I work on the lightning doesn't strike twice theory. <laughs> um, it's highly unlikely that you, you would re-injure yourself in a severe fashion. Um, if you have a spinal cord injury, then obviously the, the injury itself is minor. The ramification is, is catastrophic. Mm. You know, I broke a tiny bone in my neck. It's. Sure. That that will just mend. You can't mend a spinal cord. Yeah. So there's there's a plate in my neck. My neck is strong. Yeah. You know, if I was an unstable injury, you know, it was a sort of an incomplete injury and hadn't lost function. Yeah, I'm not going to gamble. You know, yeah. the remainder of my function, taking a few steps against playing the game. But for us, we were fairly kind of cut and dried and done. And and the the chairs keep us very safe. The yeah. main injuries you get aren't really impact injuries. People talk about broken fingers a lot of the time because they think it, the wheels will get in the way. It does happen, but rarely. Yeah. Mainly it's overuse injuries. You yeah, know, so your, shoulder. Your, your shoulder, elbow, wrist. You're, you're not really using your your body as it was sort of meant to be used anatomically, so you're putting way too much stress through far smaller joints. While we're talking about injuries, I mean, you're still a keen rugby watcher. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm talking able-bodied rugby at the moment. And yeah. there's been a lot of debate about Rugby injuries, the tackle in particular, mm-hmm. we saw at the World Cup last year. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were very strict on the tackle law, which, yeah, in some cases it feels ridiculous. It feels mm-hmm. like, you know, a guy ducks at the last second, you know, last split second into yeah. a tackle. And there's not nothing, as you know, we've all played a bit of rugby. Even if you played mm-hmm. at club level, there's not much you can do in that split no. second. So what is your take on, on where rugby is going um, in, in terms of its injury prevention? Um, you know, I'm, I'm pleased with it, certainly from a catastrophic vantage point you know when when i broke my neck i think the average was about two a year in the uk breaking their necks in or having catastrophic spinal injuries in rugby that's now down quite some way and but the more interesting stat is the manner on the field in which you break your neck there are far less scrum injuries now most spinal cord injuries are those um multi-directional contact injuries hence why they are now moving to tighten the tackle up. And I, I agree with you, sometimes it's unavoidable. Mm. But also, I think you saw a fairly quick adaption. I think you'll yeah. still see a, a really quick adaption because it is, you know, we, we often compare our, ourselves and go, oh, you know, I, I, I couldn't adjust in time. These guys are, are pros. They will learn mm. how to do it. They will learn to adjust. There's still going to be times where someone gets an absolute clothesline in by mistake. And if, that now says you've you've got to go you've got to go yeah you know but what rugby has always been good at is being hard and fast or you know straight down the line with the rules and saying right we're changing it and you get used to it rather yeah. than say soccer and just leaving it go and go and go and you have the kind of diving epidemic that you do now yeah. and the problems with VAR um so uh, you know I, I think I think it's on the right side at the moment I'm absolutely would never ever want to see scrums leave the game. Would want to want to see you know chest high tackles leave the game. I wouldn't want to see any of that. Yeah. The game is a physical game. There's an element of risk in everything we do, and people go into it knowingly, and they go into it from a young age, learning the skills. It's like we're not going to lob someone in the front row when they've never been in a scrum yeah. before, uh, an adult age. So I'm confident with all the way through the age groups that that the, the 
appropriate safety is being put into the game. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know my my son's nine years old, but from about six, they started junior rugby. And, mm-hmm. and the first, they never touched a ball, really. It was all about yeah. tackle technique and about how to fall and about how to be tackled. And yeah. I mean, I, I think that's quite important at, at six years old to understand. Even then, they're young and supple and the impact's mm-hmm. not that big, but they're, they, they're getting this technique drummed into them from an early age. Absolutely. Our nephew's going through the age groups now and he's he's 16, just put him a stormless top, actually. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they do well. he's a little... A little gobby scrum half so um but yeah he's been he's been taught the the right way through and i think you know i think that's really important um and you know i think we have an excellent network in the sport that's that's making sure that you know our youngsters come through strong and and knowing how to play the game you know not only physically but obviously the right values of the yeah. game as well the last thing i ever wanted was for anyone to be discouraged from playing rugby because they heard that i'd been injured playing rugby you're literally a hundred times more likely to go and get hit by a bus on the street sure and I, I mean part of your your development and and your life after your injury has also been sort of the motivational speaking circuit mm-hmm. that they're you know helping youngsters and and i guess talking about rugby talking about your life how, how is that have you had some successes and impacted on on young people uh, in in the interim yeah, and no, I like to think that I have. You know, I was very lucky that my final games was in London. You yeah. know, to have an Olympic Games, Paralympic Games in your, in your hometown was was a huge honour. It was and massively supported, wasn't it? It was. It was, and I'm very proud of that. Very proud of that. From you know a, a disability sport vantage point, you know we're, we're one of the foremost nations. You know, the fact that the whole bid was based on us marketing the Olympic and Paralympic Games equally. Yeah. Um, the turnout, people paid for tickets. You know, I know the tickets were a slightly different pricing structure to the Olympics, but that's market forces. Yeah. You know, and there were still bums on seats. So very, very proud of that. Um, and I also, because I lived in Greenwich, Greenwich was deemed as an Olympic borough. There were a couple of events there where there was the equestrian in mm-hmm. Olympic Park, uh, sorry, in Greenwich Park and the archery, I think, down at Woolwich Barracks. Mm. Um, so that meant that that kind of really gave me a springboard to speaking in the schools locally after 2012. So I kind of, you know, retired straight after and went straight into speaking. And it was something um, that just kind of came quite easily to me. I mean, I think you have to practice everything you do, but sure. I kind of I like the sound of my own voice. So, <laughs> <laughs> and uh it it was just a, you know as captain for 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 a lot of years on the squad I you know I was used to addressing people I was used to sort of fulfilling media commitments and stuff I enjoyed it some people just really dislike that that whole side of it I quite liked it maybe yeah. I'm a bit of a lush I don't know <laughs> um, but then you know it, it takes practice and you start thinking you start thinking about your story and so what does it mean you know what's my story actually mean because there's not many people that are going to make a living just telling their story yeah it's not going to happen. You know, unless you're, you know, Nelson Mandela or maybe Khaleesi now, you know, no no one's going to pay you just to keep trotting out your mm. story. You, you have to be able to make it relevant on what it means to them and what they can do today, tomorrow, the next day to improve their situation. So that that's part of the skill that sort of we as speakers try and sort of hone. So and I suppose it evolved too, your, 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 your script, I suppose, your, the way you approach people, you you, you develop yeah. that over time. Yeah, it? absolutely. You get to see the nuances of it. You get to see the differences to when you're speaking to, you know, tiny kids, to when you're speaking to older kids, to when you're speaking to sort of adults, to when you're, you know, to, to an after dinner, to an award ceremony. There's there's all different slants on it to what people want. At the end of the day, you're, 
you're a servant. If you if you're if you're paid to speak in front of audiences, you're paid to deliver what they want, not what you want. And yeah. I think a lot of people make that. I'll oh, just go up and do me, and it's like no, because they asked you to speak on resilience, and it's like if you can project you through resilience, then fine. But that's mm. the that's the line, you know. That's what we want, and so. Um, it's just been a learning process for me. You know, I started out, I'm a better speaker than I was. So I've still got a long way to go. Yeah. Now, Paralympics, uh, we've got the Olympic Games in Tokyo this year. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would imagine London was peak Paralympics. I don't think it's been as well. 2016 in Rio, certainly it wasn't mm -hmm. as well supported. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what the expectations are for Paralympics in Tokyo. Do you know what the sort of general feeling towards para Paralympic sports is in, in, in Tokyo? I, I believe they will surpass London. Really? Yes. I just, um, the way they've approached it, you know, the diligence with which they've approached it, the way they, they want it to be, you know, you've just seen a World Cup, you've seen how sort of tremendously received and treated the teams and fans were there. I think there's so much pride in the nation. When I've been out, I've been out a couple of times to Japan, just having a look round and, and, and just, yeah, the, the atmosphere is going to be fantastic and people are genuinely excited about both Paralympics uh, and Olympics. So I think it's going to be excellent. I think it's going to be difficult. The challenges are going to be the the, the sheer geography of um, Tokyo, the floor space. It's yeah. just, you know, particularly from an accessibility vantage point, there's so many tiny little kind of shoebox apartments yeah. and stuff there and uh, – that that's going to be difficult, but I think as for the welcome, as for the way it's going to be run, it, I think it will go like clockwork. And there's that there's that kind of one percent of kind of madness in the Japanese public that <laughs> is just going to put that X factor on it. I think it's because they're so they're so straight and they're so respectful, and that's just wonderful when they demonstrate their culture and stuff. But that one percent that makes you know the the president jump out of the um, jump out dressed as Mario in, <laughs> in the handover ceremony and stuff like that, and it's just like okay, like you know, it's going to be a bit, it's going to be a little bit crazy. I think it's going to be awesome. Now, who are the dominant teams in in in, in Paralympic rugby at the moment? I mean, uh, how did you guys do at the Olympics, by the way, as Britain? Uh, Britain in Rio came fifth. Yeah. Um, so we've we've never done better than fourth. Right. Uh, you know, much to much to my upset. I'm you know, it's middle. Fourth's a tough place to come. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, so after after Beijing, fifth in London, fifth in Rio. Um, I think they've rebroken the top four now. So mm. I think there's every chance they can go on and win a medal. I don't know what colour, but it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. The forces are the the only people that have jumped in recently are Japan. Oh, okay. You know, so Japan. Well, that's gonna really, be interesting with yeah, support. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're they're gonna they're on for it. I mean they're current world champions. Um so we'll see. You never know what a home home games can do for you. Uh so it's you know, Japan, Australia, America GB Canada, yeah, are, are really you know, and five doesn't go into four very well, and yeah, three even less so. so. And, and South Africa, have you seen any of the sport in South Africa? At all? I have, yeah. I mean, I came out here playing in two thousand two, so wow. um, and the sport was there, but um, as always, it's going to be um, Paralympic sport is much more equipment based, mm -hmm. so it is much more all elite sports about money, but. When you're boiling it down to a car, let me get my mask right here. Hundred thousand round chair versus pair of running spikes. Yeah, it gets difficult. 
It you does. know, yeah. I was uh, I, I was lucky to speak to a couple of the the new players um, at the Stormers game at the weekend, and one of the older players as well who was out here when when we were out here in two thousand and two as as young kids. So that was it was really nice just to kind of be able to reconnect, and I had a couple of pictures uh, from from that time we were out here. So you know, the sport is still going, but they're always going to need support. You yeah. know, so if anyone listening out there is a rugby nut and wants to do something slightly different, get involved, support South Africa wheelchair rugby um, because it's, it's it's not a cheap sport. And, you know, undoubtedly I benefited over having financial support over the years hugely. You know, yeah. those chairs I mentioned with that big price tag, I had 11 in my wow. career, you know, and that's what you need. Yeah. You know, I, I smashed and were those, of those to paid bits. for by a... By a- Largely, mm. largely, I was sponsored because I was um, I was sponsored by the RFU. Yeah, having broken my neck as a rugby player towards the end of my career, I got good enough that somebody gave me a sponsorship. But I wouldn't have got there if mm. if somebody didn't put a chair under my ass in the first place. Exactly. So it's yeah. um, yeah, that's 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 really huge. You know, if these chairs are our Formula One cars, and, and when you have such little function, yeah. they drastically a chair will drastically affect your game. Now, um, talking about. Uh, Injuries and, and, and chairs, and, and you were supported by the RFU. You've been doing some work for the Chris Berger Petro Jackson mm-hmm. Fund. You've been out here. They, they do great work for South African rugby players who have mm-hmm. suffered similar injuries to you. Uh, what's been your involvement there and just your view of what's been happening? There? I'm at the very start, really, with them. You know, I was lucky enough that when I was doing some work with Laureus um, a couple of weeks back, um, they invited out, I think it was Tori Gardner, uh, a, a rep from the fund. Um, we're just in the early stages of having a chat about what I, what I could do in the future. You know, I'd love to kind of share best practice from, from what I know from the in- Injured Players Foundation back in the UK. Um, and hopefully just kind of see where it goes from there. So it's a bit of a watch this space, really. Yeah. And, and Laureus, you've been involved with them as well. Now, Laureus, mm-hmm. of course, uh, is the organization that their, their flagship is the Laureus World Sports mm-hmm. Awards, which they, they hand out to the best sports people in different categories. Mm-hmm. But I think what isn't known about Laureus is the amount of charity work they do and the amount of, I yeah. mean, in South Africa, they do over 30 charities yeah, alone. Yeah, they're very dominant here. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and, and I don't know what their footprint is like in the UK. Um, they they do have projects. I've been to visit a couple of projects in the UK. You know, the last one I visited was a project called Fight for Peace, which is a boxing project based out of um, the UK and Brazil, actually. Um, and when I was at the World Summit in Paris in 2018, you know, it, it kind of hit me just how many South African projects there are. So while we do have lots of representation, lots of offices uh, in the UK, it's uh, South Africa that, that's really got the lion's share of it, which is only right considering the idea was conceived and started by Mr. Mandela himself. So yeah. um, it's it, it's really good out here, and I just uh, I've been privileged to be able to tie in um, with projects when I've been here. Now you uh, you're a rugby fan. Have you forgiven South Africa for what happened in Japan last oh, year? Oh <laughs> dear, I mean, you know, I, I don't even think it's a case of being able to forgive them. I just think they were so much better than us. I mean, it was just. It was jaw dropping, really. Yeah. You know, and it. You I mean, know. no one expected that final. To no, run no out. one did, and I'm not buying the. I'm not buying the. Oh, you'd had your final. You know, again, they're professionals. Yeah. And, you know, and they just did not play well enough. You know, I've watched a bit of analysis on it, and you know, can see why what happened. But you know, South Africa was just far, far better on the day. There, there, there just wasn't even a moment where you could go, oh, that was a bit unlucky. Or, yeah. No, you caned us. Um, but it's kind of funny. You see all things as opportunities. I was in a in a bar in London and yeah, there's this guy opposite me and I think his kids had painted all, 
all South African flags all over him and stuff. And I remember as Colby kind of hitch kicked that last try in, just looking over him like, <laughs> and he just kind of gave me the sorry kind of shrug. But it turned out that that guy's a guy called Jan Yuber, uh, and he was, I think he was ex-Special Forces over here, and he um, co-founded something called the Buffalo Foundation, and they sponsor a project to Chesme Campus called the Songezo Cycling Academy. Oh, wow. So I was uh, lucky enough that as well as doing a bit with Laureus, I went to visit those guys um, down in Nordhook. Is that uh, where it's based out of? Yeah, yeah. So, and you met him in London in a pub yeah, randomly. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Drowning my sorrow as well. He was celebrating and got talking and happened to mention we were coming out. Um, and he said, well, you know, if, if you get the chance, you, you, you must go visit. And I said, I'd love to. Uh, and the project's loosely based around the fact that, um, you know, the young people get to cycle from a recreational all the way up to a semi-pro level as long as they stay in education. And the foundation provides classrooms and stuff for them as well. So, yeah. There's a lot of good people doing good stuff out there, isn't there? There really is. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in a country like South Africa, as you've seen firsthand, um, needs people like that needs people like absolutely. you needs organizations to do that kind of work i mean yeah, are you inspired to come back and do more work out a hundred percent yeah um you know i i think it's i just think it's fascinating when you get to go to another country and you're in a position where you even have the opportunity to go and visit some projects and try and do some work and try and do some try and do a bit of good out there and i'm just in the process now of actually working out how that might look so i've got some ideas of you know what I could offer if I came back um because this time round yeah I just kind of visited projects and used the Laureus connections um to to go in and visit the school in in Strand in Rostov school in Strand I think mm -hmm. um and you know but it was very much kind of a meet and greet and I, you know I'd love love to be more hands on and, and you know offer more really because you don't you don't just want to be a a token visitor as much as it's a privilege to go in I, I want to be able to sort of do something for that because i see it as a as a real honor to be able to to even see the inside of some of these places you do a lot of traveling i mean is that quite difficult being in a wheelchair being uh you know quadriplegic does that doesn't make life you know you, you want to do these things but do you sometimes mm -hmm. go oh geez the thought of another plane in airports and <laughs> is hard work it's it it can be tough you know my wife and i work well as a team um, and actually some of my work I do in assisted travel. So I kind of know the processes of, of, of plane travel and stuff very well, plane travel, train travel back home. So I kind of know the system, but I can absolutely, you know, it does get, it does get a bit difficult, but you, you have this opportunity to travel with work sure. and, you know, and Ali and I have always been very experiential around that and say, well, what a bonus, you know, we can get in, we can speak to an international school, you know, we can, we can then sort of take some time in the country. Obviously this was far more of a holiday for us this time, mm. but you know, Alison, she works in wine and, you know, with my speaking, we've kind of got it all hooked up. So we, we have so many sort of chances. So, you know, traveling is always a, Always a privilege. I know this. Uh, I mean, you go back to when you were seventeen years old. Your life panned out the way it has, mm -hmm. and and you've 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 made this great career and you've made a big impact on people's lives. I mean, do you ever think something? Well, if this hadn't have happened, what would I be doing? Does that ever enter your mind, or is it that's my reality? I've just put and it I, I think it does. I think there's always a curiosity, but I wouldn't take it back. And really? that, you know, that's yeah. what I always say to people. If somebody came to me the night before my accident and said, "Look, yeah." You're gonna you're gonna turn up to rugby tomorrow. You're gonna have a severe accident. It's gonna be a difficult time. You you know you you're gonna lose the ability to to walk and many other things that come with spinal cord injury. Um, but you're gonna find this sport 
you know, you, you're going to start playing this sport, fall in love with it, you're going to get good at it, it's going to take you around the world, you're going to play for your country, you're going to captain your country, you're going to meet the queen, you're going to get to go everywhere and anywhere. And then after it all, you're going to have a job telling people about it, people are going to pay you to do that, or don't go to that game. I think I'd still go. Really? Wow. Yeah, it's it's just that's when it does come back to there's always a curiosity but it just comes back to you play the hand you've dealt I feel mm. like I've been tremendously lucky over the years but I'm also aware um, that I've put a lot of work in and I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely sort of fine with admitting I'm not going to be coy about that because it's like you know we work for everything there's no such thing as talent we work for everything we've got so Andy Barrow it's been a great pleasure Thanks for listening to the Maverick Sports Podcast and keep reading the Daily Maverick for in-depth news and sports coverage. Let's take a few seconds to tell you about Maverick Insider, our membership community that keeps Daily Maverick going. For a small contribution a month, you can help Daily Maverick survive and even thrive. Our journalism is free to all, but we need your support to keep it that way. All you need to do is go to dailymaverick.co.za forward slash insider and sign up for as much or as little as you want. It makes a huge difference to us and to South Africa. Please also remember to subscribe to the Maverick Sports Podcast and to our Maverick Sports Newsletter. Thank you, and until next time.